Hey, Dave Littman, welcome to today's webcast, Myth. I'll just use my backups for e-discovery busted. We are going to tell you today why you should not use your backups for e-discovery. And in just a second, I'm going to be bringing on Mike Matchett, who is CEO and Principal Analyst with Small World Big Data, as well as Rod Christensen, who is CTO with Operavi. But before we do that, a few housekeeping tips. Uh, today's webcast will go just about 20, 25 minutes. You'll notice there is a Q&A panel beneath the video player, so just enter your questions. We'll get to them at the end. Um, on the bottom of the video player, there's two uh, controls I want you to know about. There is a um, volume button uh, that you'll see, and I forget, I'm not sure which corner it is, but we'll point that out. Um, if we can point that out, that's great. And then we have a closed caption, so let's point that out. And if you want, you can toggle those captions on or off. So if you can't get audio where you are, if you, if you can't listen, you can play the uh, captions and show those. So that's pretty much it. Please keep your questions coming. And for now, let me hand things over to Mike and Rod. Mike? Thanks, Dave. Hi, Rod. Welcome. Hi, Mike. Thank you. <laughs> so we were talking about the uses of backups and what are good uses and what are bad uses. And I've noticed in the industry, when I talk to a lot of people, that they use backups for a lot of different things. And that some of them are appropriate. Some of them may have been appropriate 20 years ago, but today it's just not going to cut it. And one of those things that I've noticed that people trying to do with it is their legal protection, their e-discovery, their compliance and their regulation kinds of uh, uh, controls, the data governance that they have to provide. And they say, you know, if I have to have a copy, I'll just point to my backup. If I have to recover something for e-discovery, I'll just point to my backup and reload it. And that can't possibly work today for a large number of reasons. So let's dive into that a little bit. Um, from your perspective, maybe you just start by telling uh, me a little bit about what you think um, you should do for e-discovery. What is kind of controlled in that use case that, that means that, you know, backups aren't good and we should be looking for other solutions? Well, one of the things that, that really is, is important to e-discovery is in, 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 right up front, you should know exactly what you have. Uh, it's very important when you actually uh, undertake the delivery or the, the e-discovery uh, process that you know actually what you're looking for or, or approximately where you're going to find it. I mean, uh, when, when uh, companies are using, uh, you know, backup and, and specifically tape for, you know, uh, responsive documents for, for e-discovery, you've got a real problem because you may have hundreds of tapes to look through to see if the document that you want is there. How do you get at that data? You know, so the, the, the first thing you have to do really to, to have a successful, you know, e-discovery process is knowing what you have up front and being able to identify what you have before you actually start looking for it. And, you know, the, we, we talked about uh, today's uh, IT environments not only being larger, lots more data, of course, there's data problems, a uh, lot more systems, but distributed data is living in large number of places. So knowing what you have and then i would even posit like knowing you know where where it is in that environment yeah it's when when you have a, a best practices for for servers these days is, is you don't set up one single server running 22 different services to run your company that's just not the way to do things right. usually things are on virtual machines 
you have a, a, a purpose design server, you know, you'll have a, a SQL server, you'll have a, you know, a Redis server, you'll have, you know, your web server, your financial server, they're all doing one task because you really don't want to mix up your, your servers with multiple tasks because then it's impossible to load balance things and actually move your, your, your workflow around. So when you start doing things like that, it may seem like it's easier to do e-discovery because things are segregated. However, the problem is, is that you have data all over the place. Now you have many, many, many servers to actually look at. Instead of one backup tape, the way it was back in the 80s, you had one backup tape of, of your server, you recovered it to some other server, you know, took a look for what you, you needed. That's impossible now. Now you have tapes all over the place with data spread all over the place and, and just trying to find something that, that is responsive is a real big issue. All right. So we're talking the first problem then really being about knowing what you have, knowing where it is. Uh, I think the, the next problem probably even naturally falls out is how would I get it back out of a backup unless I restore uh, a backup and maybe uh, the latest backup at some point in time copy, right? Uh, and I have to have that in a store environment. The problem I think even gets worse though, because now we do incrementals and differentials and uh, stuff. So what, what am I trying to even restore? That, that adds a completely different level of complexity there because now, now you have to take your base backup tape, restore your, your latest differential and all the incrementals on top of that. So now you're not just dealing with one tape you know, to recover one point in time on a server, now you're actually, you know, across multiple tapes, maybe five, six, seven, maybe 30 tapes to actually get that, to get that, uh, you know, full data set back. And then the problem is you don't even know if what you're looking for is in that set. Right. So you right. actually restore the set and try and find it. Right, because I, I think if we take these last three problems and we coalesce them together and realize if I've got an e-discovery target where I'm trying to go find a particular set of data that matches a certain pattern, a certain phone number, social security number, name, whatever, whatever that thing is. I'm kind of hunting through a, a, a big pile of hay for that needle. And if I'm relying on backups, I have to restore a lot of backups sometimes to find it, right? I mean, I, if I've got distributed systems, I got thousands of VMs, I don't even know if I could restore all that. Right. It's, it's, it's an exponential problem and it's only going to get worse. And, and we didn't even talk about the fact that, you know, backups are a point in time copy. I don't know when in time I need to go research something. So I might have to go get multiple backups for the same system to make sure I've covered, you know, the landscape, right? Right. And really in order to, in order to be, you know, fully compliant with the need discovery and, and return all your, your uh, responsive documents, you actually have to restore every document or every tape and every incremental and differential on that tape to see if it was there because one week it may have been there and the next week it was gone. So you can't just look at, okay, I've got a yearly tape, let's see if it's there. That just doesn't work. Doesn't work, doesn't work. Okay, so I think the, I think it's pretty clear that backups aren't gonna work for, you know, at least the uh, e-discovery use case. We talked before about a lot of other use cases that backups just don't, aren't suited for anymore. Uh, and you can extrapolate. So what does, work for e-discovery? What should someone start to be thinking about doing uh, to really be able to serve their e-discovery needs? Well, the first thing, like I mentioned uh, previously, the first thing you really need to do is figure out what you have up front. Right. Uh, if you wait until the, you know, you actually need it, it's way, way, way too late. You've got a huge task in front of you to try and figure that out, as we've discovered with backup. So one of the things that Operavi does is, is as it's actually storing these files into the archive, it actually 
figures out what, what you've got. It, it looks at the words, the content, tries to figure out the numbers in the, in the content, tries to look for social security numbers and phone numbers and addresses and things like that to try and come up with a classification for that document. That, the classification for that document could be legal, it could be confidential, uh, all sorts of different uh, 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 configurations and combinations that you can make you know, to try and recognize what you have in, in, in the data store. Then once, once it's all classified, then you can actually do a lot of things with it. Uh, when, you, when you classify it, uh, you can search for those files by classification. So give me all the files that have social security numbers in them, for example. That's, that's, that's great, but Operavi actually takes it one step further. The, the next step is actually storing the words that are in the document, all the okay. key piece of information about the document, so that we know what the content of that document is, even though it's out on an archive somewhere, even though it's in a cloud. So we can actually perform searches against, you know, a social security number or a phone number or an address or name or something like that, and, and actually tell you that this is what's in the document. Is this the one you want to recover? Is this the one you want to bring back and take a, a, a look at? Not only that, it gives you the context of that, of what you're searching for too. So if you have what looks like a social security number, then it, it tells you words before that and words after that. So you can actually see, well, yes, this is actually a responsive document because I've got some content of context of what I'm searching for. So when I'm looking for that needle, uh, the idea that I can search on a pattern, I can search logically, I can search words around the things I'm looking for really comes into, uh, up to it into its own in terms of cutting right to the chase on that right think think of google search for your archives mm. okay the nice part about it is is that you don't have to bring that data back from the cloud okay if you're storing it in the cloud okay. one of the biggest problems in the cloud is egress for these bringing back stuff you know to, to actually figure out is this what you want it has the same problem as backup by the way you know, uh, except it can be a lot more costly after, if you have to bring several terabytes of, of data back on site, you know, just to find out, hey, that's not what I needed. So what we do is we store, you know, those, those indexes and the content, uh, um, the word content and the indexers on the local system so that when we do need to go back and, and get it, when we find the document that you actually want to recover, we consult that local database to do the searching. And then when you want to recover it, then it pulls the document down from the cloud. All right, so let's just step back a little bit. I think you're wandering into architecture there and I want to understand this. So Operavi's archiving this data or indexing the data. The data is not necessarily all living on site that's getting archived. This is data that's distributed living across different places. Uh, but you've got this efficiency, I don't want to call it a caching layer, but the, the metadata, if you will, for the indexing is being kept locally. Right. We recognize each and every word in a document, uh, you know, uh, uh, not only English, but uh, all the different uh, languages. Okay. So, so what we do is we actually take a look at a document, we pull all the words out, we index them, and so we know exactly what words are in a document. We store those locally, what, what documents have which words, so then you can perform local searches against it rather than consulting the document in the cloud. And that, and then you know the the normal archiving function takes those documents according to what policies and whatever, and puts them or or puts them up into different tiers of storage. But you know what's in that document before you've even done that, right? Right. And and, and you're able to track, I think, you know, versions and do all sorts of great things like deduplication and all sorts of stuff like that, kind of on your side. 
Right. So the, the the local system actually keeps track of everything it needs to everything it needs to in order to recover the document and and do searches and and finds against that document. The documents themselves are actually stored up in the cloud or in a you know an archive data center or okay. wherever you want to put them. But for the most part, uh, uh, you know they're stored offsite. That's the purpose of an archive. So right. yeah, and it makes it a, makes it a, a a cost capacity decision separate from the usefulness and the efficiency of doing the e-discovery or the other uh, analytics that you might want to do. Uh, right. Decision. Right. Doing e-discovery on your archive, since everything's kept locally or the indexes are kept locally, is a no-cost operation. Yeah, it's uh, it's awesome. Uh, we also talked a little bit about some of the security things that are going on around this. Uh, if I've got my corporate data and I'm trying to put it somewhere, tell me a little bit about the security, the roles, uh, the protections that someone might have about getting just at everything. Because obviously, if you give me an index with all the words of all your documents in it, there's probably some sensitive stuff in there. Yeah, the, the, what, what we call the client or the, the server to actually be backed up. Uh, it never sends data out unencoded. Uh, it never leaves that physical perimeter of, of, of the client itself uh, without being completely encrypted. And only the client really knows the key of how it's encrypted. So it's actually the clients that participate in these searches and the, and, and the appliances. No data ever goes into the Operavi system. No data ever crosses our boundary. It's between okay. your server, your data center, and, and the cloud. And when we store it in the cloud, everything's fully encrypted uh, with AES encryption. So uh, even, even if somebody did manage to hack your S3 account or your Google account or something like that, all you're going to see is a bunch of numbers. Uh, metadata is encrypted. It's going to be just a bunch of garbage to them. So everything, security with, with an Operavi, you know, when we, made, when we did the architecture, we made the choice not to actually send data through the Operavi system. It's between the appliance and the on-site data center to the cloud itself. Awesome, awesome. And, and yet, you, um, when, when we put things in the archive, there's um, some access that, it, if I, if I, I mean, let me step back. If I use some other vendor systems to take data and tier it to the cloud and it gets encrypted and put up in the cloud, and somehow I don't want to pay that license fee or I got to pull out of that or something, I can be really messed up because that data up there has to come back through that vendor system in order to be useful. I think with you, when you were talking with you guys, you have a, kind of an open data approach to how that data on the back end can be accessed and stored um, that I think a lot of people would find attractive. So maybe you could explain that a little bit. Okay, so we have actually two things. Um, uh, we have open data access and open data format. Okay. The first thing is open data format completely documents the format of what we're actually storing in the cloud. It doesn't give you access to it because you actually need your, you know, security keys in order to get to it. But once you have your security keys, it does, you know, you can actually read the, the data directly yourself. On top of that, we provide uh, what's what we call the open data access layer. And what the open data access layer does is it essentially presents a volume uh, that you can actually mount uh, with some with some commands and those volumes actually use the the open data format in the archive to actually access the data that's in the archive itself so it looks like you were actually you know you have a live disk there you know even though it's sitting in an archive the best part is it can go across multiple clouds so if this okay. file is on this cloud and this file is on another cloud it'll stitch everything back together and give you one unified view of your file system at that point in time yeah, we certainly didn't want to, you know, 
call you guys a multi-cloud file system company, but you know, you've got that functionality on the back end with the archive now uh, letting you uh, make, again, a, a cost capacity decision to where you want to invest to store the data without having to worry about the accessibility of it. Right. It's, it, it, it's actually pretty cool the way it turned out. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy about it because what that allows you to do is kick up an EC, EC2 instance up in the cloud, yeah. mount a file system, and actually start doing e-discoveries without ever bringing anything back down to the cloud or back down on site. So no, no longer do you have those egress fees. All you're paying for is how much compute power you're actually using to, to go through the archives itself. And, and while not locking it into some proprietary format that someone has to be afraid of, that they put petabytes in their archives and then someday something goes wrong and they don't have access to any of it, right? Right. Yeah, which is, I think, um, just a key, key kind of feature there. Uh, so we were talking a little bit about uh, uh, performance of, of this and, and, and how it performs and so on. Uh, maybe you can give you an idea of just what the scale that the Operavi Archive solution can grow to. I mean, what, what, what can we get to in terms of size? Because there's little corporations, there's big corporations, and there's monsters data sets. What are we, what are we talking about? Well, it's, it's, all, it's all a distributed system. So with that distribution comes scale. So depending on, on you know, what your data set looks like, you may need one appliance, you may need you know, 20 appliances. It really depends on you know, distributing the, the workload uh, you know, in your data sets across multiple you know, machines to actually scale through. Now, since Operavi itself is not in the data path, you're talking directly you know, from your appliances, your site, your data center over to the cloud. It really is based on your network connection between that and the cloud of actually moving the data over itself. Consider the Operavi SaaS platform, the, what, we're, what you're actually talking to most of the time, as the center of control of, of you know, controlling everything on the back ends and, and you know, getting these things to do the pieces to get together to do what they need to do. Uh, uh, and that's a very low, low energy task there. So the main heavy lifting of, of actually doing this is moving the data from the client system up to the cloud. And, and kind of a, an initial one-time uh, ingestion that, that, that you can start small and move big as you go. It, it can take a little while, but yeah. you know what? That's okay. It, it, yep. it, it doesn't really matter how long it takes. Okay, and and we I just said that. <laughs> it doesn't matter. That's and, bad, Dave. <laughs> all right, and then and then when we uh, are looking at getting started with putting in uh, an archive from Operavi, uh, is is that something where I have to take a, a, a certain minimum chunk size and put it up there to get going? Is there a, you know, a, a one month ingestion period? What has to happen to start to get useful with this? We do have a free trial period of 30 days and you can use, you know, use the product for 30 days. We do have monthly billings and we have the annual subscriptions that you, that you can have and it's based on your usage, the amount of data that you protect. Uh, that's key because no matter how many copies you have or which cloud provider you're using or whether you, you know, you've got five copies of it or 20 copies of it, you pay the same rate. It's all based on the amount of data that's protected. Oh, um, so, so yeah. So when you say data protected, so if I have one file and for some reason I have 17 copies of it, cause that's what some surveys say people have when they finally get there around there, you'll actually just charge people for the one file that you've, uh, the one copy that you've indexed and not the 17 copies that might be stored in various places. That's correct. So you get charged once for the file and no matter how many copies you make. 
Yeah, I think that's another reason why backups aren't going to work for this use case because a backup's just this large image and you got to pay for the whole image and stuff. And now we can work at the file level, a file granularity level uh, with access. Uh, and and um, uh, speaking of uh, the file level kinds of question, uh, one of the things that I was curious about was uh, where uh, you go when you uh, have to age files out, right? Or if I have to bring new files in, because that's kind of a legal thing too. I have legal hold on some documents and I have to move things up. What do you guys do to support policies in such a potentially largely scalable system? That's a great question. You know, in, in the backup industry, um, you know, when you've written to sequential storage tape, uh, one of the, the big headaches that IT is working through, trying to work through right now, is the GDPR, the right to be forgotten. You know, well, when you start to talk to right to be forgotten, does that mean, and there's there's no legal precedent on this yet, so does that mean you actually have to recover every tape, delete the file that refers to some somebody in Duluth, you know, Iowa, um, you know, and, and remove it and then make a copy of that tape again. It gets even worse when you start talking about images because you can't really delete something out of the middle of an image. It just, right. you know, when, when you're doing disk images, it just doesn't work. So the backup industry has come up with this delete on restore, which I have not a clue what that actually, how that's actually going to be implemented, but that means you actually recover from the tape and then before it actually finishes recovery, it actually deletes it off the system like it never existed. Well, we'll see how that works. Yeah, because it's still actually there, right? I it's mean, still it's there. The tape. Yeah. I, you know, I could recover it from the tape if I'm malicious or uh, not thinking or the, the, you know, yeah, delete on recovery doesn't sound. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see how this all plays out legally. But yeah. with the upper obvious solution, basically you can type in on, this, on the search page, you know, my name, Rod Christensen. It will show me every document across every archive, across every system in, in you know, that's under control of Operavi. Uh, every document, you can say select all, delete. That's all there is to it. And it will also send you an email report confirming that you've deleted it. So therefore, uh, you can actually be compliant with the law that says they must confirm the deletion of the data. All right, and I, ha and I have to ask you though, because that sounds like a lot of power. And with great power comes great responsibility. Yes. You, if you're looking at petabytes of data, who can actually have that kind of control over it and delete things uh, globally like that? It can be the one big super user for a corporation, or it can be delegated to sub, uh, you know, sub authorities within there. We have a complete uh, uh, hierarchical rights system that allows you to yeah. do certain things. So you can do backups, or you can do stores, you can do copies, you can do archives, whatever you want to do, uh, but you can't recover data or you may not be able to delete it. It has, you know, it's kind of like the, the uh, uh, checker at, at, at the, uh, the grocery store. When somebody pushes the wrong key, they actually have to get a manager to go over right. and okay. you know, register again. Same thing. Okay, awesome. Uh, I think uh, that's all we really have time to explore into this use case. I'd love to talk to you some more about Operavi at some point, Rod. I would love to come back. It's <laughs> great right. talking to you. All right. Uh, I'm excited actually. Uh, there is a great deal of noise in the marketplace around compliance, GDPR, regulation, privacy, legal hold, e-discovery, and all the rest of that. And the landscape is changing fast because of uh, the scope, scale, multi-cloud, 
regionalization laws are changing uh, and uh, large companies are invading our privacy like no one should know about what happens. Uh, so I think there's a lot more to happen here. I'm glad to t talk to companies like Operavi and I can't wait to find out more. So back to you, Dave. Okay, great. Uh, thanks, Mike. Thanks, Rod. Uh, great job. Hey, two questions came in uh, that we have time for. There, there was actually quite a few questions, but these are the two that I thought were pretty cool. So let me bounce these off you real quick. So the first one is kind of basic, right? How do you get the data into Operavi? Sign up for an account. Very easy on the operavi.com uh, uh, website. Uh, you'll be sent security credentials. Uh, essentially, then after what after you receive your email with all your login information. Uh, and a couple download links, one for the appliance and one for the for the clients that you need to install. Install the appliance, install the agents, and you're all ready to go. Okay, great. And this other question came in that we thought was kind of unique. You know, don't know, um, you know, whether or not this is possible, but it, there is an MSP who has asked this question: if it's possible potentially to offer archiving as a service, if this could be a multi-tenant kind of an architecture. Hmm. Yes, we do have a multi-tenant, multi-tier architecture where, where uh, an MSP can actually sign up with us and then they can create uh, their own clients on, on their behalf and manage them, or they can leave it up to the, uh, to the client themselves to manage. Uh, it's really totally dependent upon the business model that the MSP has. Okay, cool. Fabulous. Okay, so Great questions. Uh, thank you for um, asking those. And uh, Rod, thank you very much for coming to speak with us today. And Mike, thank you uh, for, uh, for your expertise here as well. And thanks everybody for joining. Let's put up that giveaway button. And while we do that, we'll uh, say thanks again uh, to Rod from Operavi Software, Mike Matchett uh, with Small World Big Data. I'm Dave Littman, Truth and IT. Thanks again, make it a great day. Good luck with the giveaway. And if you didn't win, come back. We're doing these all the time. So thanks again and make it a great day. All right, take care.